My name is Peter Himmelman, Grammy and Emmy-nominated musician, author, and chief dream enabler of Big Muse. I'm proud to underwrite this episode of The Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf. Discover why companies like Adobe, 3M, McDonald's, and Gap have brought in Big Muse's rock and roll-fueled seminars to get inspired, to get insight, and to get activated. Write to me today at peter at bigmuse.com. Entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builders Show, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, and alongside of me is my executive producer, Mr. D.C. Taylor, and we will be your guides on this learning journey. The Business Builders Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of business executives. You can learn more about us at csuitenetwork.com, and you can listen to our show and a lot of other great shows on C-Suite Radio. My special guest today is Mr. Chuck Collins, and Chuck is back for the second time. Welcome back, Chuck. Hey, thanks for having me back. That's always a good sign when they you get invited back. <laughs> that is a good sign, yes. Not only was I thrilled with it, but a whole bunch of other people were thrilled with our first inter- interview. And there are, see, believe it or not, I'm sure you do believe this, CEOs of major companies were uh, very much impacted by our discussion. So for those who are unfortunate enough to miss the first show, let me introduce Chuck. Chuck is a storyteller, researcher, agitator, and campaigner based at the Institute for Policy Studies, where he co-edits inequality.org. For two decades, he has worked to shift the stuck national debate about wealth inequality, racial wealth divisions, and taxation. Chuck's newest book is Born on Third Base, a one percenter, makes the case for tackling inequality bringing wealth home and committing to the common good. Chuck, again, welcome back to the Business Builder Show. Great to have you here with you. Ah, great. Okay, so like I uh, said, uh, for those unfortunate enough to not hear the first show, and you can go to MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com and catch the first show, which I suggest you do, but let's kind of give them a summary of what we talked about. For instance, your title of your book is Born on Third Base. Talk to me about that. What do you mean by that? What's the book about? Well, the, that title invokes a, uh, a quote from the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Barry Switzer, who said, some people were born on third base, but claim they hit a triple. <laughs> and, uh, and that would certainly uh, apply to me in the sense that I was born, you know, I, I, born into a wealthy family, an entrepreneurial, successful family. Uh, but I didn't get there on my own. I kind of know that. Um, but it, 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 it goes to the, um, the fact that a lot of people, uh, have pretty advantaged head starts yeah. uh, and are able to parlay that into even more successful lives as business leaders and business owners and investors. But if we kind of don't tell the truth about how that family wealth or, uh, public investments got us where we are, 
we sort of mystify uh, the process of wealth and success for everybody else. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's an important conversation to have. Yes, it is an important uh, conversation to have. And again, I should tell folks that I first heard you on NPR. And uh, again, I uh, didn't catch it all, but I thought, wow, what a fascinating story. I was captivated captivated by your story um, for a whole lot of reasons. But let, let's get more specific so that people understand the depth of what you're talking about in terms of boing, b- being born on third base. What's your background? Who, what family were you born into? Why were you born on third base? Well, I made the, uh, the excellent choice of, of not just picking uh, successful parents, but actually a great-grandfather who came from Germany in the 1880s and opened a butcher shop in Chicago. And his name was Oscar Meyer. And uh, that that over three generations of became a very successful family business and family brand. And uh, the the family sold the business when I was 21. So I didn't have an opportunity to work in the company. But that meant that I, uh, you know, received uh, an inheritance and and a flow of wealth that came down through the generations. Um, And uh, it was right in the early 1980s that I that I personally started to understand how inequality was opening up. And the first clue I got was that I had an inheritance that was just an initial trust fund, but it was maybe it was worth a quarter of a million dollars. And four years later, it was worth half a million dollars. Wow. Sort of wow. The wealth itself just sort of multiplied. Yeah. But I was then working with uh, tenants in mobile home parks, yeah. kind of as a consultant to help them buy their mobile home parks uh, and own them themselves, you know, yeah. kind of work, you know, uh, uh, resident owned cooperatives. Right. And I was doing all the underwriting and sort of looking at their own individual financial situation. And I started to see how stagnant wages were really affecting people, how people were surviving or trying to survive. And that just created a real kind of intimate front row seat to how these inequalities were opening up. And I thought really negative for for the society as a whole and for the economy. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, right in the early part of your book. You talked about your journey when you were a young man and uh, when those folks were, I guess, in that trailer park, I guess that's what it's called, uh, when they were trying to purchase and, you know, um, you were actually sitting and saying, well, I can kick in my own money, but wait a minute, that's not the right thing to do, right? So tell us more about that story because it's a great story right at the beginning of your book. Well, actually, I was thinking uh, they, 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 the, this one mobile home community in particular had a gap. I mean, there they were a lot of people in the park that had you know zero or negative net worth. They didn't have any savings. Yeah. They didn't have any equity to help purchase the park. So there was a, about a $35,000 gap. And I, uh, I thought, well, why, I could just write the check. You know, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really change the trajectory of my life, but it yeah. would make a huge difference for these 30 families. Um, turns out I didn't have to because the remaining people there kind of put it all on the line. I mean, basically, uh, they put it all, you know, everybody who had any little bit of savings, put it all on the table. Um, and I don't think there was anything wrong with my desire to, to want to help or to, but what was really amazing was to see the sense of solidarity and that, and what happens when, when, uh, you know, people put, yeah. Put it all on the line. So, so I was kind of inspired. I, I kind of was jealous, actually. I so I was like, "Wow, I want to live 
in a community where That's where people are all in it for each other in this way. Fascinating. And I apologize for the choice of words. It's Mobile Park. And um, so so that was an early life lesson. And so you wanted to learn more and get active in terms of dealing with and helping people uh, understand and talk about inequality. So why is that you, again, go in your book, why is inequality not good for anybody, including the rich? Why is this not a good and healthy thing? Well, I think coming right up to the present moment, you know, we are living, uh, Marty, in this time of extraordinary inequality, and I could labor you with lots of data on that front, but I think people know that. I think yeah. your listeners are aware of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But part of why I wrote Born on Third Base was to say, you know, uh, these inequalities actually will undermine uh, healthy capitalism. They'll undermine this kind of social compact that we have with each other and that it's actually in the interests of everybody. And you know, people always say, oh, well, the wealthy benefit from uh, this economy and they benefit from from the unequal distribution of wages and wealth. Uh, which is true, obviously. That there's you, you get more stuff. There are yeah. more goods. There's more freedom. There's more opportunities. But at a certain point, if things get so out of balance, I think it actually backfires. And I think we're at the precipice of that. So part of why, you know, I wrote this book is to talk to networks of wealthy philanthropic folks and business leaders and. Uh, and just to say, you know, this isn't about altruism. We don't want to address this inequality out of a sense of charity. This actually will change the business environment. Uh, you know, if you're a small business owner, uh, if 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 half the people in the country's real wages have pretty much stayed flat or fallen for the last several decades, that's going to affect your business model. Yeah. And so, so, but Chuck, there's immediately there's people listening, and there's going to be some eye rolling. In the sense that um, these entrepreneurs who believe they did it by themselves are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, what's this inequality? Are you are you reaching into my pocket? Come on. I'm an entrepreneur and I've I've earned all this. D don't you like entrepreneurs, Chuck? Come on. No, I actually I I, I love entrepreneurs. OK, and I love people who are go getters and starters. And, you know, I think it's a it's a more complicated discussion in that what I would say is no one does it alone. And this is part of part of what's challenging to unpack is we tend, each of us, myself included, like to look at all the things that I have done to get me wherever I am. And we don't always see the the sort of the web yeah. of, uh, of what I would call the commonwealth or, you know, it's a combination of public investments and community support and help, and yeah. that could be family help or a coach or a mentor, that how important that is. And we now are at a time where these inequalities are kind of like chipping away at the public investments that we would make that create opportunities for entrepreneurship, not for everybody. Right. You know, if you're, if you're like me and you're born on third base, yeah, you can go out and become an entrepreneur because you sort of have this platform. Right. It's sort of a family safety net, if you will, yeah. that allows you to take a leap and know you're not going to fall all the way down the cliff. Um, and that's important. Sure. And uh, and so I, I think that part of what I want to say to folks is let's look both at, you know, 
too much inequality creates a certain volatility in the economy that actually destroys wealth. And that's a whole other discussion. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of research now showing that it actually undermines healthy growth, too much inequality. On a personal level, though, you know, understandably, people say, well, you know, I, don't, I, I can see how these inequalities are bad, but I don't want to mess with the machinery that creates the kind of amazing economy that we have and the kind of freedom that we have. And, you know, if we try to reduce these inequalities, maybe we'll kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Yeah. So I also understand people who are concerned about that. What I'm saying is that these inequalities are going to kill the golden egg. Yeah. And, and again, one of the CEOs, I won't mention who it is, but he's a friend of mine uh, of a 1600 worldwide corporation. Listen very attentively and uh, he asked, and here's a question for you, I guess. I said I was going to ask this at the end, but you kind of set me up for this. He asked, it would be interesting to learn more about Chuck's view of inequality's impact on our economy. And I guess you're talking about that, but can you go a little deeper in terms of, well, you know, how how would this really impact our economy? How do you see an unraveling if it if it does, if, if it would? Go a little deeper. Yeah, t- two thoughts there. One is that... Um we know that if so, for instance, uh, real wages have been stagnant or f- or falling for half the population of the U.S. for more than four decades. Mm. So, what does that do to ag- aggregate demand? What does it do to the spending power? So, you know, we we think we're living in boom times, but uh, you know, forty four percent of households have you know three months or less financial reserves. Mm. Uh, you know almost 20% of households have zero or negative net worth. Mm. That means they're not really participating in the economy. Contrast that to the period 1945 to 1975, where the rising incomes didn't just mostly go to the top, but were widely spread across yeah. the economy. The bottom fifth, the middle fifth, the top fifth all saw their real incomes double right. over a generation. That was a time of incredible growth and what I would call middle out economics, you know, mm. uh, consumption by the middle, yeah. really driving healthy growth mm. as opposed to uh, sort of the, the trickle down or, or, or uh, yeah. you know, that model. So we know and economists now point out this is both in the U.S. context and internationally uh, when when a whole segment of society isn't participating in the economy or their consumption is based on debt, mm. which is what set up the 2008 economic meltdown and what's going to set up the next economic bump in the road, which is you can't just keep growing based on consumer debt consumption. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's another troubling dynamic, which is at the very top end, you know, you know, figure, you know, the wealthiest 1% have $20 trillion in the United States a fair amount of that goes into uh, hopefully productive investment, yeah. but a huge amount of it is going into the casino part of the economy, the sort of speculative yeah. paper creating paper wealth part of the economy that creates volatility. So we know that the booms and busts will become more frequent. Uh, we know that, uh, the, the, there will be these kind of bubbles that will be constantly growing and bursting and that that actually doesn't really add to the, you know, the productive capital base of the society. Not, uh, not at all, of course. And then these same folks that you talk about that don't have those three-month savings, when they hit, well, I'll use the phrase bottom, where do they have to go? 
They have to go to the system that taxes are paying for, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, right? I mean, that's yeah. where that's where the negative economy, they have to go someplace to survive, right? Yeah, and then you have the, the social implications of that, which sure. is, okay, you have, I mean, we're, we're living through a period, I would say the economic uh, inequality has fueled uh, political volatility. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of anger. You have, uh, and you look across the world. I mean, look at Europe as well as the United States. Yeah. There's a fair amount of anger that comes from not participating in that economy, and it leads to um, some pretty ugly uh, politic politics. Yeah, we're we're, again, we're we're not, you know. So again, we're not setting ourselves up well, as, along with the sort of the the pitchfork politics. So you, we're sowing the seeds of uh, of uh, pitchfork revolution. Uh, you know, it's, people aren't marching in the streets now, but watch watch the next time the uh, there's an economic bump in the road and unemployment goes above 10%. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, we don't want to live. We don't want to go there. We don't yeah. want to go down no, this road. we don't want to go there. Yeah. And so that's where I think it's really in everyone's interest yeah. to roll up our sleeves and figure out how to, how to reverse some of these inequalities. I'm Marty Wolf. Stay here for more. My name is Peter Himmelman, Grammy and Emmy-nominated musician, author, and chief dream enabler of Big Muse. I'm proud to underwrite this episode of the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf. Discover why companies like Adobe, 3M, McDonald's, and Gap have brought in Big Muse's rock and roll-fueled seminars to get inspired, to get insight, and to get activated. Write to me today at peter at bigmuse.com. Oh, I've been speaking with uh, Chuck Collins, and Chuck's book is Born on Third Base, A One Percenter Makes the Case for Tackling Inequality, Bringing Wealth Home, and Committing to the Common Good. One of the key things we didn't get to in our first interview that I we must spend time on, because this, this is a unique view, I think. You talk about in your book what's called the Charitable Industrial Complex. Talk to me about that. Well, I think when people hear about these inequalities, they quickly go to, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if uh, uh, the, the people who are benefiting uh, create charitable foundations and give their money to charity? Or these people are being generous, that one of the ways we address inequality is by giving, you know, through charitable institutions. And I actually think that's important and I'm I'm I think it's a good sign that as inequality has grown so has uh, the number of charitable foundations and charitable giving um, but I think it is a distraction to think that that's actually gonna deeply mm. reverse these inequalities mm. and one I, I just uh, co-authored a study that came out at the end of last year called gilded giving top-heavy philanthropy in an age of extreme inequality. And the trends are a little troubling, which is low- and middle-income giving is going steadily down, and it has been for 20 years. And I believe that is linked to what you and I have been talking about, Mm -hmm. stagnant wages and declining uh, fortunes for many people. And that most of the growth in philanthropy is at the very top among the mega gifts. Mm Mm-hmm. And the creation of these huge foundations yeah. and the uh, growing amount of money given through um, donor-advised funds. Mm-hmm. And I far be it from me to say that isn't 
good and that that in fact reflects a generous impulse in the society and we have a vibrant independent sector that is part of a healthy pluralistic society we don't just look to government to solve our problems we we have this independent sector of nonprofit organizations and universities and that is flourishing and vibrant and is supported by philanthropy so that's great but i i basically make the point that uh, philanthropy is not a substitute for adequately funded public investments mm-hmm. you know and so going back to what is it we really need to do to reverse these inequalities we sort of have to do what we did after world war ii we have to tax ourselves at progressive rates mm-hmm. and invest in infrastructure and invest in the public goods that create opportunity and after world war ii we built obviously the interstate highway and a lot of infrastructure and we right. created a first class inter- infrastructure for that time right uh, and we also invested in debt free higher education and expanding home ownership not you know not through just private mortgages but through heavily subsidized yeah mortgages that that help build a middle class uh, one of my uncles got a, a veterans administration mortgage for 40 years 1% fixed rate mortgage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was foundation that, yeah. that put on the wealth building train. Yeah. So I think we, we, we sometimes look to charity to solve some big problems. And because we're sort of a tax adverse society, we don't, you know, we'd rather control where our money goes. Yeah. I'm going to be the, the I'm going to be the cynical one for a minute. That's my role as the interviewer to be the cynical one. In some ways, these foundations, are they helping the folks, the, the well-to-do folks, in, in, is it helping them in addition to their philanthropy? Is that kind of an investment for them in a way? Well, I mean, I think in the in the larger world of philanthropy, I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Uh, and the good is people creating uh, a charitable gifts that, that go directly to solving important community problems where they don't have a lot of overhead where they're there it's really not self-interested it really is sort of that human generosity impulse at its best then there is what i would call the bad which is uh sort of lazy philanthropy it's just i'm just going to give to the things that touch my life and you know i'm going to give to my alma maters and i get to my kids schools and i'm going to give to the cultural organizations that i'm a part of and my friends charities uh, you know, so it's sort of benign, but it isn't actually doing that much good. And then there's the ugly, which is how people use philanthropy to sort of almost ex- ex- extend their very narrow interests um, and warehousing vast amounts of wealth. That and and it wouldn't be such a problem if you and I weren't chipping in. You know, for every dollar a billionaire gives to charity, uh, you and I are chipping in forty to fifty cents of that in lost tax revenue. Yeah. It's not just like it's your money and you get to do whatever you want. It's like, you know, if you're taking a tax deduction and reducing your taxes that you're paying for military defense and public infrastructure and education, et cetera, then you and I have a stake. Uh, We should at least have a say in whether that philanthropy has a social benefit. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I hope everybody listened very carefully to that. Um, not to be the downer, but listen very carefully to that. And Chuck, we're already past 20 minutes. Believe it or not, I mean, you're so engaging 
you're so passionate about what you do. I we need to wrap up, um, and, and that's unfair again. Can I ask you back again sometime? I would love to continue the conversation. Yeah, you're, I, you're I think it's important. I really do think it's important. But let, let's wrap up and, and do this as quickly as you can. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You were in London recently. Talk to me about that. We'll wrap up with, uh, I guess, your international story. Well, I think that obviously the trends we're talking about, these inequalities, are, are global. And different societies are responding to them differently. Yes. Um, yes. And I work with the, a project at the London School of Economics that's looking at the global level on these inequalities and, and what can we learn? I mean, what are the societies uh, doing that actually are slowing or reversing inequality? Um, so I'm there to learn as well as talk about the U.S. experience. Um, and we have a, a project that's looking at some of what you and I have been talking about, which is sort of what are the narratives or stories that we tell ourselves that in some ways yeah. justify the inequalities we're living with and how do we change that? <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. Chuck, so what's I, the best way to, for people well, to learn more about you? Because I need to wrap up. What's the best? Go to inequality.org. What's the best place? I think the best thing is, yeah, check out inequality.org. Uh, check out the book I wrote, Born on Third Base. Yeah. Uh, and through those places, you'll find uh, I'm also part of this network called the Patriotic Millionaires. Yep. Uh, which is addressing some of the, you know, the concern business leaders talking about these concerns. So, yes. Yeah, the thing I want to talk about in the next session is uh, let's bring them home. You know, how do we, and again, let's save that for the next show. I suggest that the audience go to inequality.org. There's some great articles there that talk about this. Whether you are for or against what we've just talked about uh, with Chuck, I strongly suggest you learn more, you get educated on these topics. I think they're of vital importance to our personal uh, and our worldwide well-being. So, Chuck Gollins' book is Born on Third Base. Thanks so much again, Chuck, for being part of the Business Builder Show. Thanks, Marty. So you have been listening to the Business Builder Show. So on behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, and my executive producer, Mr. D.C. Taylor, thanks for listening and have a great week. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Marty Wolf here. Do you have products you want to sell online? If you aren't selling on Amazon, eBay, Walmart, and your own website, you're not just losing out on revenue, you're falling behind. Channel Apes, young, hungry, driven team can manage your entire operation, product catalog, inventory, orders, and multi-channel expansion. Visit Channel Ape, that's A-P-E, channelape.com today for a free demo.